the major things that Mary said when she uh, was, uh, had the angel come. And uh, the angel said to Mary, she was going to be with child and all of that. And uh, she said, how can this be? And, and, you know, that's kind of the cry of the ages, that some of the things that we say about Jesus, often it's, how can this be? How can this be? How can he be what you Christians say? You know, the thing about what Jesus' identity is, God with us at Christmas, is the thing that divides us and other faiths. You, you'll have some people in, uh, in your workplace that, from other faiths, and they can't get that God could be man. In fact, they see that that somehow diminishes God. And today we're going to kind of talk to you a little bit about how that can be and how it is. And we're going to take you to one of the oldest passages in Scripture. In fact, the, in the manuscripts, the, one of the parts we're going to read is the oldest thing in the New Testament. And it was a song that the Christians used to sing. And so the dividing point is, how can Jesus be both God and be man at the same time without making one thing different or the other thing diminished? Would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2? And um, in a sense, I'm going to ask Karen to play a bit because what I'd like you to do is not only hear with your ears, but begin to listen with your heart about what this uh, Bible passage is saying. Because we actually want to describe a different way today. Everybody, if you turn with us to Philippians chapter 2, and we'll read from verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement, and you might need a little bit of encouragement today, from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if there's any tenderness and any compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. We need some unity in our nation, don't we, at the moment? And we as Christians, we can be together. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Remember that phrase. Rather, in humility, Value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each one of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. But rather he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to death, even the death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him to the highest place and given him a name that's above every name. Can I hear an amen, church? That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge and confess that Jesus Christ is, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you. God's in you. To will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you'll be like stars that shine in the sky as you hold firmly to the world word of life. And then I will be able to boast on that day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on a sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you so that you too should be glad and rejoice with me. We thank God for his word today. Amen. Father, speak to us right now. Help us to look into you. Help us to see a bit more of you. Amen. You know, the... The fact that Jesus came really is a mystery. It's one of the hardest things to work out. But the attributes of God are that he's eternal. And we know that what it says about Jesus was, is that when he came into the world, that in fact, John says that he was at the beginning and he was with God in the beginning. And then John uses all these past tenses and says, God, Jesus was this and the word was this and there was nothing that made that was ever made. And then it says, but the light continues to shine. And that even though you see, maybe see a picture of Jesus as a, as a man, there's something of Jesus carrying on. And so we see that he's eternal. And uh, God, when you think about God, he's all-powerful. Uh, but we see Jesus healing people. When you think about God, he's everywhere at the same time. And uh, well, then we see that Jesus is in one place, but he heals at a distance. So there's kind of something of God about him, even though he's laid down all of what God is. He still retains something about God. And, and when you see God, he's, he's all-knowing. He knows everything. And, and it says of Jesus that he grew in wisdom and, and he grew in stature as a man. But when you see Jesus in his ministry, you can see that he can actually see what people are thinking even when people haven't told him and he's got this sense of this all-knowing and he talks about the future as if he's already been there and he says to some of the uh, 
people who came to me says, before Abraham was, I am. And so this Jesus, who definitely came as a man, still retains something of what God is like, but he kind of lays down some of that. And we, you've been looking at a passage and a bit of a word string all the way through that, haven't you? Yeah, so we, uh, <clears throat> we've been looking at this passage uh, and looking at what it says in the original New Testament Greek. And um, the word empty comes up uh, in several places, and it's very interesting what it shows us. Um, shall we get into that a little bit and have a look yeah, at that first sure. instance of that? What we're saying is, is that God is holy, and he comes down to be lowly. And some people will say, how does that, does that pollute God? And yet, we also read that Jesus may have been lowly, but yet without sin. So he still retains that holiness. So let's look at this passage. And Pastor Nick's done a little bit of a study. And he wants to point out some things about the words there. Is that okay? Come on, engage with us. Some, somebody say amen. So, so yeah. <clears throat> in uh, verse 3 of the passage that Pastor Mark just read... Uh, we have this uh, phrase which says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. And I've picked out the word conceit in red there. Hope you can see that. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Uh, and I was looking at this uh, in the original language. And the word conceit, uh, conceit means pride or boastfulness or arrogance. It's actually a compound word um, of two words in Greek, uh, keno and doxa. And keno means um, uh, nothing. Reducing to nothing or empty. And doxa means glory. And that seems like a strange mixture to have side by side in a word, but what, what Paul is trying to say is that if you're all about yourself, then that's an empty glory. If it's all about selfishness, there's an emptiness there. And in fact, if you, if you uh, uh, know about the story of, of Lucifer, who then became the devil, what, what happened with him was that he kind of had ambition to take over God's place. And it came from a, a, a place of self. And he pushed himself forward and forward and forward to try and usurp God. But then God can't share his glory with another. It tells us that in Isaiah, doesn't it? And so he had to, the, basically he, he fell from heaven and was cast out of heaven because of that selfishness and that what effectively is empty glory. That's the kind of the root behind that word. So what, what you're kind of saying is the Bible gives us an opposite view that if you push yourself forward, you become empty, that, that you get an empty glory. Yeah, basically, if, if you are pushing self so much and so hard and, and kind of making almost like a god of yourself or an idol of yourself, you know, and it's kind of a bit relevant in our celebrity culture that the people push themselves forward, don't they? But what the Bible says is they describe that as conceitedness or pridefulness but it's an, it literally means empty glory. So you, you, you might be pursuing that glory, but really there's an emptiness with that. So today, maybe you could kind of have a little think about our culture around us and think, wow, Christmas is so different. It's, it's a counter culture to what we see. There's nothing wrong with... with uh, being out there and pursuing your career and, and doing the right thing. But it's from when God says, where are you coming from? And what's the second word? That you so the second word comes up in uh, verse 7. Uh, so if we just jump down to that, uh, what we have is, uh, it says this, uh, though he was in the form of God, 
Uh, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but, and then again in, in the red, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. And this, is the, this particular point here in Scripture has been the subject of a huge amount of scholarly discussion and debate. So what does it mean that Jesus made himself nothing? Uh, surely, like, God can't make himself nothing. Uh, how does that work? What does that look like? Um, and so there's been a lot of concentration on this word made nothing. But what we notice is that the word in the Greek is the, sa- is, is the same word keno, or ke- uh, keno which means uh, empty, but the verb form of it. Uh, so where we had empty glory as a description, what we've got now is to be made empty. And so what Paul is saying is that Jesus intentionally made himself completely empty for some kind of a purpose. Now, what he also does is he gets into the different, if you like, forms of, of what that might look like. And there seems to be three levels of form that that takes. Shall, shall I get into that a little bit? Okay, so what we have at the top underlined is the very form of God, and then also um, taking the form of a servant. Those two words, form, are from the Greek word morphe, from which we get morphological and other words related to that. But what it is, that's, that's a very key word because it's not just the form and the appearance of the thing. It's a special word which means the essence of it as well. And so it's saying this, this looks like God and this looks like a servant. And do you know what? It actually is God and it actually is a servant. There's, we're not playing here. This is an appearance thing, but it's also a reality and a substance thing behind that. So it's a little bit like you might think that God looks like something, but actually when you look at Jesus and you see him in this form, this is what he looks like. Yeah, so exactly. And so like if you, were to, if you were to take the book of Colossians, what Colossians says is, if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. This is, who, who, this is what God looks like in tangible form. And that's that word morphe that appears here. But what's interesting is that that's held in attention with servanthood. So Jesus is not just God, but he's God as servant. And those are both real states on the inside as well as the appearance of it. So, so when you look at things, you look at, you might have your idea of God, but the Bible's saying when you look at Jesus and he looks like a man, but he also looks like God. And that's what we're trying to get across to you, that he looks like that. That's the form of him. What we do is we then get into two more versions of the word form or likeness. So in verse 7, born in the likeness, uh, that's a Greek word, homoiomata, uh, quite difficult to pronounce uh, properly. But it's basically saying that if you saw Jesus, you would recognize that he was a person, he was a man, uh, that he had a, a, a resemblance. So, for instance, if you saw uh, the, th- this likeness walking down the street, you'd say, oh, that's a person, straight away. There's an there's a instant recognizability to do with that, what that word means. But then we've also got another word being found in human form, which is to do with Jesus' physicality, the fact that he had a body. Um, and that's the Greek word schemata. And what schemata is, it's like your, your physical being. It's, it's your flesh and blood. It's, it, all of us in the room have a schemata uh, because God made that, us that way. Uh, but it, it, you know, we, we have a physicality to us. And what I think Paul is trying to do by saying these three layers of being is that he's saying that, um, that Jesus was God, that Jesus was a servant, and he was absolutely God and absolutely a servant, but he's recognizable as a man, homoyata, that difficult word to pronounce, but he's also got a physicality to him as well, and in this kind of Christ him as it's known, all of those are emptied on our behalf in order that we can be reconnected to God. So he is something. Can somebody say wow? 
I mean, I know this is a little bit complicated, but this is the Christmas message. That the God of heaven pours out himself for you and me. That he says, when you look at me, you say, oh, there's a man. And then the essence of me is I'm a God. I am God. I mean, Nick, uh, you, Pastor Nick, you know all the Greek words. Uh, you know, well, say those all, words again. all would be a stretch, but yeah, I've, look, I've, <laughs> I, I, I've looked at a few. He of them. knows all the Greek words. <laughs> very kind of you, Mark. But, yeah, so, so what we have is we have morphe, which is yeah. the very essence of who God is, the form and essence. So he is actually God. Right. That word morphe is repeated to be servant, that he's absolutely a servant as well. Intrinsically, so really God, he's really, really a servant. servant. But he's also in the image of a man, so that you'd recognize him as a person. You could talk to him. He's a person. He's a character. Um, but also, he's got physicality. He's got flesh and blood. He came as a person, a real person. And obviously, at Christmas, we know that because he was born as a baby in a manger and had physicality yeah. that way. So he he's shared not our a ghost. He's no. not a, a kind of weird prophet or anything like that. He's a real flesh and blood person, but with this God. Can somebody say amen? Amen. And now, Pastor Nixon, all that study about Greek and everything, but here I want to just summarize it for you on my level, okay? Got this out of a Christmas cracker. He's God in a bod. It's not even the full English language, okay? What does that look like? For us. Well, I think we wanted to just give you a little bit of an illustration of what that really means uh, with, this, uh, with this, uh, these symbols here. Uh, I'm just going to pull this forward so everyone can see this. So basically, if you imagine the schemata of Jesus is like this, this wine glass filled with this wine, and what Jesus comes to do is he literally becomes a, an outpouring for us. He empties himself on the cross, and this is the most holy moment in history when he does this because what he does is he basically says I'm going to become the perfect sacrifice for you all of me will be poured out on the cross and now I'm empty Kenoto, completely empty given for you totally emptied that's what I think this passage is trying to say And yet, he still holds on to something that is God. Poured out for you. But there's another word a bit later on. There is. And, and this is kind of where, like, I'm, you know, I get a bit excited when I discover these things in God's word. Because I think, oh, wow, God, you've kind of put that there for us to discover and, and find out. So basically, what we then see is Paul saying, well... He's in prison. He's writing this letter to the Philippians from prison. Uh, and so he's anticipating the time when he's going to be potentially taken out, even. That he may be martyred for his faith. That, that something dreadful is going to happen to him on account of the gospel. And so he's writing to the Philippian Christians. And he says, uh, he says this. Um, he asks them to hold fast, from verse 16 there, to the word of life. That in the day of Christ, so that's either at the end of his life or at the second coming, or perhaps at the end of all of our lives that I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And what's exciting to me is, as I was reading through the scriptures and, and looking at that, that's the, the noun, kenon, is, it, it's, it's, it's the noun empty, again. And so we've had it as an adjective, empty glory. We've had it as to be made empty with what Christ did for us on the cross. But we also have 
um, the sense of, I don't want my ministry to have emptiness to it. I don't want it to be in vain. I don't want it to be devoid of fruit. And what Paul is saying is, I'm so, he's so urgent and so insistent that all of his work spreading the gospel and building church and reaching out to people and all the missionary journeys he did, he's writing to the Philippians and saying, I do not want this to be in vain or empty. I want it to have purpose. And what he does in doing that is he models a copying of Jesus. Because he says, it says there, um, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering. Well, we just saw that. And that's Paul saying that about himself. That he wants to be poured out in order that what he has, has done has got purpose and fruit. So that the word gospel. where it says vain. That's keno, that's keno again, but the, the, the noun version. So it's a state of being empty. So he doesn't want his ministry to be empty. So we have a, we have a three-part thread Empty glory, all about self. Genuinely emptying yourself of self in order to build a bridge to, to, to Father God. And Jesus does that. But we also have ministry being copied in that that doesn't want to be empty. It needs to be fruit-filled uh, that we can all copy. And Paul gives us a great example of that in his own ministry. You know, this time of year, you might have quite a number of deadlines. Or you might just be, you know, that time of, this time of year where you're quite tired where you just feel like, oh, I'm down a holiday, I need a break. And you feel a bit empty. And you feel a little bit like you need replenishment. And that's a natural thing. But I want to say to you that that which you do for God, your labor is not in vain. It's not empty. You know, keep, keep sharing. Keep serving. Keep investing. Keep planting those seeds. Because... It won't be in vain. It won't be empty. In fact, in our church, look at our lovely church family of all our different nations and so on. And Don't give up on keep making it work and happen because it's not in vain. It's not empty. And so you can feel a little bit uh, depleted and you can feel a bit diminished. But why don't you begin to say, well, God, will you fill me? You poured yourself out so I could be filled. And begin to ask him for help and ask him for strength. In fact, Paul says later on in this passage, it's God who works in you. He, he wants to pour himself out so that he could build a bridge so he could be in you. He, and many other religions, they kind of bow down and serve God or, or do rules and, and obey writings and scripts. But actually Christianity is saying God with us in you to fill you. In a few moments I'm going to show you a film about Joseph uh, and what he might have had some struggles. And uh, Guys, if you get that ready for us. But if you're feeling a bit empty or a bit towards the end of the season, understand that God can fill and strengthen. You know, when people listen to us as Christians, we say lots of language. And, and people who are not quite used to our language might think, well, why would I lay myself down? That Surely that diminishes me. But, Pastor Nick, that first word is those who push themselves forward are diminished anyway. 
It's kind of empty, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I, I think what you see in the passage is that, that it, as Jesus lays himself down, he has this trust and this faith that God will lift him up. And that that's true for us too. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, in another place, the Bible says, if you humble yourself, God will lift you up at the proper time. And I've thought a little bit about, well, how do you lay yourself down and yet you don't diminish yourself? And, um, and then I, I just felt like this passage has the answer. First of all, when we lay ourselves down, you don't worry about your status or your security. Uh, Jesus said, being equality with God, it's not something to be grasped after. He just he laid it down because he trusted God to protect who he was. I want to say to you in your life, God's got it. God's got your future. He's got your security. Don't, don't worry. Don't strive. God's got it. In fact, will you, will you just say to your own heart right now, come on, say it out loud, God's, God's got it. He's got it. And so, in, when I think about laying myself down, I always think, well, God, you've got it. You've got my future. You've got my status, whatever that is. I don't worry about that. You've secured my life. God's God. The other thing I noticed that Jesus, when he laid himself down, he became a servant. That, it, that in, in laying things down, we have to think, well, how can I bless others? Can I be blessed so I can be a blessing? Can I lay myself down so that others may be blessed? And, and when you do it with, with other people in mind, God will look after you. It'll be okay. And for me, it says of Jesus that he, he became obedient and whoa, his obedience point was even to death on the cross. And when God asked me to lay things down, I always asked, well, what's the obedience point? What, what's, the, what's the next thing? You see, God doesn't want us just to lay our lives down just because he, to prove that he's bigger than us. We lay it down and then he shows us, hey, obey me in this because I'll move everything forward in your life. So I, when I talk about laying things down and say, you secure my life, I want to bless others. And what's my obedience point? Last words, Pastor Nick. Have you any thoughts? I, I just want to say, I think in studying this passage again, I found myself very challenged by the example of Jesus in his willingness to be so obedient and to empty himself so completely. And I found it very challenging to me of like, where are those bits of my life where I'm not being obedient or not emptying myself for the sake of someone else or other people. And I just, I just found... Put your hand on your heart and say, God with me. If you feel like you're not enough, He wants to be with you and fill you, bless you, heal you, lift you, change you. Be everything that you need. And sure, it'll take everything from you and maybe you need to empty something. 
maybe just in this moment, in this Christmas moment, when we marvel at how greatly he has poured himself out for us. Why don't we just lay it down and say, God, I give you my life again. Because you know that serving the Lord is not in vain. Give myself away. I give myself away. 